Ladies and gentlemen, welcome again to another episode with Two Beers with Charles. Um, we like to start the show by saying what we're drinking. I tell you what, I haven't really been showing up in that regard, Charles. I used to do, like, I used to put pictures of both our beers and put a website for the breweries. <laughs> and I got lazy in the show notes. I felt like um, I realized I've had this giant adverse reaction to sitting in front of a computer and it's like my uh, my 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 trauma of working in corporate America. Um, but so, do you want to start out with your drink? With what you're drinking, you want me to start out with it? Uh, well, I'll I'll start out. Um, well, I was uh, I opened a, a Kona Brewing a longboard lager, but that got consumed in our pre uh, uh, pre program uh, <laughs> note taking and uh, discussion. So now I've switched over. That turned out to be an aperitif. Now I've switched over to Foxbrook Cabernet Sauvignon wine, which costs about three bucks a bottle, but it's actually pretty good. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I've moved from the aperitif to the main course now. The wine. I actually, so I went, um, we were emailing, so we were supposed to record this yesterday, and we both had some, uh, some poop days. So we decided that we were going to push it back tomorrow, and thankfully it worked, or to today. And thankfully it worked out. So I went to a locally owned grocery store that I don't usually go to. I don't know why I don't. There's another small, like there's a Lucky's. And I usually go to Lucky's, but there's this other spot called Wayland's, which I'll shamelessly plug and give them a native <laughs> ad. They don't give me any money. But the, it's a cool local grocery store, and it's been open for like 60 years or something crazy. So, And they actually have a liquor license. And... um and I was like, you know what? We got two beers of Charles. I haven't been out to actually get a beer. I try to avoid beer now because I'm becoming, you know, uh, all fancy with what I'm eating and all that stuff. But um, so there was a tasting there, and it was a it's from a brewery in Ashland, and it's called High Wire Brewery or High Wire Brewing. It's out of Ashland, North Carolina. And I'm drinking the 10W-40 Imperial Stout brewed with coffee and chocolate. I'm sorry, with coffee, chocolate, and vanilla. Um, it is, uh, I'm, I'm a big stout guy now. And I used to like IPAs, but the, the hops, I feel like people are getting a little too hop happy these days. And uh, it's a 8% by volume alcohol. And then uh, I decided I wanted to make a fancy boiler maker, So I bought the Bullet Mixer. A local, uh, it's in Kentucky, but it's uh, it's actually a pretty good bourbon, um, and it's like the same price as Jack Daniels. And uh, so I used the Bullet Rye, and I mixed it with a can of the 10W ten W forty stout, and uh, it's pretty delicious. I'm I'm I must say I, I try to avoid beer now because I try to get really fancy with my diet, and you know I'm still on the the whole trying to get down to my pre corporate America weight, Charles. So. Um, but I decided, you know what, this is two beers with Charles. I phoned in the beer portion the last few times we've talked, and I haven't gotten excited about it. That was, like, my favorite thing. We used to talk about these breweries, and, and then we'd, like, we'd, we'd try to go to, to craft breweries and to segue into our conversation, and we always used to talk about decentralization, and um, I don't know, you know, I, 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 got, uh, I got busy trying to create a, a business, a local business, and forgot forgot what why i enjoy doing this and um so yeah so i'm having you on today because you're writing another book go figure you've only written like 35 books in the last 10 years um i know it's not that much but it's a lot and 
I, I've met so many cool people that have enjoyed your writing. I'm a big fan of your writing. I, I haven't even read your newest book yet. Um, and you also wrote a novel as well. And now you're working on a new book. But I, I think the topic's really good. And um, so to segue into it, we're talking about um, localizing economies again. And it's like a cool topic. And, uh, yeah, so let's segue it into it. We were talking in the pre-show. And I was saying, yes, I can riff on that because... In nature, for for a species to evolve through natural selection, it needs a certain level of stress. And I feel like, you know, I, I my friend Curtis Stone said this first and kind of said it in public to me, or not to me, but in public, that, like, I feel like our economy is, is really an ecology of, of, of human consent, in a sense. It's something that's it's based on, like, hours of work. I was thinking about this today. I wake up early, even though I work for me, because that's it's because I want to get as much done as possible as soon as I can. So I got to do what everybody else is doing. And nobody said, like, let's wake up with the sun and do this. There's no rule, but it's something that we just do via the market. And um, and so I think that's that's kind of like a topic that I think it's a good way to segue into it. So that's something we've evolved to doing because we want to have the sun. So I feel like I'm talking too much, Charles. So I'm going to let you talk. <laughs> well, that uh, that boilermaker sounds really heavy duty. A stout is, um, yeah, is a, is a stout is a, is a delicious uh, beverage for sure. But it it is calorie rich, and so I, um, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I tend to avoid uh, certainly multiple beers uh, anymore just because of the caloric intake and uh, and stuff like that. But as a treat. Sounds like you got to, you know, you deserve it, right? Well, we I got through the, we got through the week. We got through the week, <laughs> and I got to talk to you, which is always a treat. You're, you're a good friend <laughs> of mine, and I'm not trying to blow smoke up your booty. I'm just saying I really appreciate our, our conversations and our friendship. And I was like, you know, I need to, you know, when we do this, I should have a treat beer because it is two beers with Charles. So that's what I did. I had a tasting with the representative of the brewery, and it's, uh, yeah, let's have a good time. Yeah, and um, you know, I've heard a lot of good things about Ashland, and I've met people who grew up there. And then now it turns out there's like a flood of of um, people from California and other bubble economy states um, heading to North Carolina. You know, for the good life, right? Golf courses, and at, at Ashland, the altitude, you know, nicer weather, uh, nice little town, apparently. So, anyways, that's that's um, that's also a sign of, of a, of a relocalizing economy is when you, an economy can support a couple of, uh, microbreweries, you know, and, and, um, and like your business, in other words, a microgreens, local, um, agricultural produce, that, that's kind of like, uh, the signs of, of evil, of evolution happening in, in, in an otherwise dying economy. That's, that's kind of, my hit on it. So it, it is a good segue. And let me start by saying my new book is called Pathfinding Our Destiny, Preventing the Final Fall of Our Democratic Republic. And what I was trying to do in this book um, was talk about exactly what you were, uh, you immediately uh, hit on, which was the evolutionary pressure that things are changing fast in the world, uh, the global economy, and in the U.S. economy. And so this is creating the evolutionary pressure that you um, aptly described. And it, that drives progress in, in the sense of being 
of, of a species or an individual or a company or a household becoming um, adapting to changing circumstances in, in a uh, productive way, right? And if you don't adapt in a productive way, then you basically um, exit the scene, right? You're, you're out. You, if, if you're a company, you, you, you fold, you um, are insolvent, you declare bankruptcy and you're gone. If you're a species, you die out. And so we're at one of those points. And um, I, I think if I could sort of summarize where we're at, um, I would say that the, um, the concentration of wealth and power in, in, in large corporations and in, and in the central government um, has created um, a situation where we really don't have the democracy we used to have. And I'll give you a couple of, of examples that in the, say, good old days of the 19th century and the rapid development of, of railroads and steel and the other uh, uh, mega uh, mega corporations of the late 19th century, well, they, they got such concentrations of wealth and power that there was blowback or, or uh, there was a feedback from the from this general populace that uh, was basically being left behind as all the wealth and, and power was concentrated in, the, in these fewer and fewer hands. So there was uh, trust busting. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt uh, did some of that and was considered a traitor to his, his class because he was upper class. And there was um, other uh, more progressive uh, actions taken. Um, and so there was kind of pushback from that concentration of wealth and power because it wasn't really healthy. And it wasn't really including um, the majority of the populace. And so we're in that same boat now where there's in intense concentrations of wealth and power in the hands of a few, but we're not seeing any blowback. We're not seeing any pushback. And uh, Mike, yeah, I was go just going to interrupt. So I, I, yeah. I, I did post an article and, and it, it was basically saying the government subsidies that are going to large tech companies like Google, Tesla, um, well, Tesla's not a large tech company, but they get a lot of subsidies. And I mean, it, it's, it's kind of weird. It shifted from people saying people kind of having a, a value of their work. And I think, and, and I think it's in, I, I was thinking about this a lot today cause I knew I was going to talk to you. And, um, and so it's cool that this is what your book's about. Um, but it, the thing, People worship these large companies now, like Amazon or or Google or you know and anything like that. These are companies that are technically, you know, trusts or or monopolies. I mean, I, I kind of feel like Amazon is so big, and I've heard um, John C. Dvorak reference this. Like they host so much of the internet that if they went down, the whole economy could potentially collapse. And um, and I don't know if that's true, but I feel like instead of saying, hey, we should, you know, there's 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 too much going on here. They have these these government contracts. They have monopolies that have been supported by the government. We need to break this up. People are kind of worshiping and, uh, you know, these these companies are treated. They're 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 essentially media darlings in a lot of ways. And, you know, people try to kind of poop on Amazon or people made it a big deal that Amazon now, if you work in Amazon, they set their wage at $15 an hour. And it's like, look, when my dad left Jeep, the max he said you're pretty much going to make is $15 an hour. I mean, working in crappy conditions, it's not necessarily a minimum wage there. It's your, it's your set wage there. You're not going to get any more. You're not going to get any less. 
that's what you get. You don't get yearly wages anymore. And um, man, like I, I feel like there's, and not just that. I mean, like unions aren't a thing anymore because unions just have protected lazy people for a very long time. And I'm saying this as a as a as a as the grandson of two union presidents, as a the son of a man that was in two different kinds of unions, one that had to compete, where his own father, when he went to go, when he's a welding welding helper and said, you know, it was super muddy and the weather is bad. He's like, oh, dad, today's going to be tough. And his dad said to him, boy, if you keep talking to me like that, I'm going to run you off. Like, you didn't even complain. If you complained, you would get fired within the union because, look, we are competing. We have to represent us. Or my grandfather, my grandfather on the other side, we work on the railroad, he would say, listen, if, if you shut up to work three days a week, you would we would draw straws i'm sorry they kicked the crap out of you so you would actually show up to work because you had a family you had to take care of and that's that's gone away like i'm not saying all that is good but what i'm saying is the value of the union is no longer a thing and without that pressure without that that idea of us unified as the working class we don't we have we worship these companies and 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 i and i and I think it's 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 scary in the sense that people aren't asking questions. People think it's oh yeah, they got a job at Amazon. You know what I mean? And and, and it's like oh, you work for Google. It's it's like this. It, it it went from something to hey, we all we all work for, for because that's what that's the value we bring, and we want to have a family. Or we're doing this and that. And I just think it's it's like this value shift that's taken place. Um, and, and I'm trying to, I'm, I'm always thinking about this and trying to wrap my head around it. And it's, there's nothing I've worked at large companies. It, it sounds great and it looks good on paper, but it's an awful experience. <laughs> and, uh, I hope I added to what you're saying, Charles, but I think without, and I'm not saying I'm for unions anymore because what they've turned into, but the fact is, is that that mindset that created unions needs to still be around. Right. Well, you've you've covered a lot of topics, and um, let me pick up on um, the one that you started with and and ended with, which was the 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 value system, and um, the way that I kind of describe this is every economy and society is a social construct, you know, like and that um, when you talk about people accepting um, the existing kind of economic structure, the, a lot of people feel like it's like gravity like it's a law of nature like well this is just the way it is and it's all like well wait a minute that's really not true it's completely fabricated out of thin air i mean the entire social structure we live in the entire economy is just a construct in our heads you know as you said we wake up and with these certain expectations or desires or um value systems that that say well i've got to get up and get to work all this is a social construct, and in other cultures and other times, it was different. And so, um, we have to remember it's not a law of gravity that that um, Amazon, Google, Facebook, etc., are dominant. You know that that's the that's the output or the result of the way the system is structured. And so, that's kind of the point of my book. If we we need to restructure that thing so that it it rewards more people and um is more inclusive and it it it's it's actually more democratic because if you concentrate wealth and power in the hands of a few you really can't have a democracy and before the that we started recording 
we were talking about antitrust. And um, as recently as, say, 15 years ago, the federal government um, agencies which are tasked with antitrust were actively pursuing Microsoft. And before that, they, they broke up AT&T. These were very large companies. It was widely recognized they were monopolies or quasi-monopolies. And the federal government actually attempted to protect the citizenry from uh, that kind of monopoly. And where we, we, as you said in pre pre show, yeah, I mean, Facebook is a quasi monopoly. It dominates social media. Google is, totally dominates search and ad revenues based on search. Um, and those are just two of the most obvious uh, ones. We could look at health, Amazon and then there's healthcare. There's like two or three major companies that dominate health insurance, uh, a couple of hospital chains. Which the Affordable Care Act only gave more power to. Right, exactly. It was gutless in terms of breaking up the cartels. Cable and internet, what do you got, one or two choices? (laughs) I mean, so, and like, for me, that was my last job, right? So another, um, more anecdotal evidence. But, I mean, this is, it's not necessarily anecdotal. I saw it happen. So, the whole Time Warner Comcast merger was a spoof from the get go. the The CEO, our CEO, and sorry if I'm ranting too much, Charles, but our CEO no. was, was brought in to sell the company. Like that was the whole point of it, right? So Charter, which is the original company that is now Spectrum, Charter tried to do this backdoor buying of Time Warner through, I think, through the, the shareholders. I don't know how to do that. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I don't pay attention enough, but I know that's what they were attempting. And so Rob Marcus, knowing that he would get his, a commission on the actual sale, put the cab, that put quash, like squash that and turn around and sold to Comcast, which was the number one and two largest cable companies. Like that's really going to go through. So, I mean, I, I, I've seen in telecommunications since I've worked, I, my corporate American experience was telecommunications. I saw um, AT&T try to buy T-Mobile, and that got voted down. Um, and then I saw Time Warner, which I worked at, try to get bought by Comcast, which also was voted down, which then two weeks later was turned around and sold to Charter for a lot more money than what was it was going to get sold to Comcast. And the CEO, I remember we were looking it up. He was going to make sixty million if the sale went through to uh, Comcast. He ended up making one hundred and ten million off the sale to Charter because the stock went up from because of the speculation. They hired all these people they didn't need to hire. Which thankfully this all happened, so I could get laid off and be a small scale farmer. Because Charles, they were paying me so much money. There's no to do nothing. There's no way I was going to walk away from that, but also I knew that wasn't going to last. And I, so I, I just think it's um, people are playing games, and the the relationship between government and these large corporations, it's such a joke. Like, like government's really going to regulate, the, like they're really going to bite the hand that feeds them. Like I just don't see that happening, or like these corporations are really going to listen to the government, or. I, and and to me it's it's just a joke because you know it's I remember this old Venn diagram that was on Zero Hedge I think six years ago and it was like what Occupy is complaining about and what the Tea Party's complaining about and it's really the truth is in the middle like the Tea Party hates government Occupy hates corporations but it's really the relationships of government and corporations that are ruining everything. 
Right. And, and I think that uh, I totally agree. And I'm glad you brought those examples up because we all have them, you know, that, that, that um, the government is by, by definition a, a monopoly, but then so much of the rest of our lives is a monopoly and, or, or quasi-monopoly or a cartel. And so that's partly why um, the cost of living keeps going up is because it's like, hey, you're a cartel. What's the meaning of a cartel? You get to raise prices and then and lower the quality of your service, your goods and services, and then see more profits. That's the that's the definition of a cartel, and that's that's why America's you know circling the drain, right? Is because yeah. and these big corporations like uh, I just saw something uh, I don't know if it was on Wired magazine or someplace like that that you know Google, Apple, Microsoft these these big quasi monopolies. They've bought like 500 startups that, that, that were threatening them in some way. So in other words, it's like you said, who can say no? You know, you got a, you got a good idea. You, you're, you, you start a company. You're going to take a piece out of Amazon, Google, Facebook, uh, Apple, etc. Well, they're going to offer you so much money, right? $100 million? Hey, no problem. Stock in Facebook. We got it. We just print it off and hand it to you. Who's going to turn down a, you know, 50 or a hundred million bucks. So they've bought out all the competition. Well, and, and a lot of times it's larger than that. I think, I think Facebook bought out WhatsApp for 2 billion. I mean, that's uh, right. Yeah, Beats, that's right. Beats was bought by Apple for billions. I mean, it's not, it's not even, um, it's not even millions anymore. It's like, look, if somebody offered me a million dollars for my business, if, if big ag, bought me out i would i'm no saint i would take the money like i i would yeah. i mean it, like i'm not okay yeah facebook buys whatsapp 19 billion hp buys compact 18.6 billion um hp bought eds 13.9 billion Symantec or Symantec buys veritas 13.5 billion i mean billions of dollars i mean companies yeah. that threaten other companies Throw a couple billion at somebody like, uh, so you mean to tell me that my family's never going to have to worry about money again? Yeah, that's fine. I'll do that. Yeah. And, and so, um, in, in, in trying to describe what my book's about, I wrote a blog today where, um, I said, um, you know, the, there's this absurd idea, which is the basis of our economy. If you scrape away all the other stuff. And, and scrape away, you know, ideologies about capitalism and socialism. Just get down to the way it actually works, right? And the way it actually works is we're told, hey, if the super wealthy maximize their gains by whatever means they, they have, right, buying, buying political influence or rigging the markets or whatever, then we're all supposed to benefit in some magic Right. There's some magic to that where if, if, if the if the multimillionaires become billionaires, we're all going to benefit. And it's all like, well, wait a minute. That's not actually the case. What happens is the prices go up. Our wages are stagnant. We're, we're actually losing ground. So that whole idea that just letting the new nobility uh, run rampant and increase their wealth uh, at the expense of the rest of us. That's that's not the solution. That's not really helping everybody. You know, we're all being left behind by that dynamic. And so we the evolutionary pressure is building in a couple of different ways. One is that system actually erodes capitalism, right? Because you're basically snuffing out competition and innovation. Well, those are the, that's the lifeblood of 
of legitimate capitalism. So you're destroying capitalism with with the state cartel structure, and then you're actually weakening um, the citizenry because number one, they have no political voice, and number two, their wages are actually stagnating because the cost of living is rising much faster than any any wage increase anybody can get. I I agree a hundred percent. I think. Um... I mean, we've been saying I've been saying move to Columbus. We've been saying move to Columbus or Pittsburgh for a very long time, and uh, I think, yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm very happy. You know, at first, people were excited that Amazon was going to potentially move their second location. Columbus was on the list, and thank God they didn't come here. I mean, I'm yeah, just like, thank God. Because let's talk about that. Yeah. It's a disaster, right? It's it's a total disaster. I mean, you look at Silicon look at where you live in California. Um can we talk about where what it was like when you were living there in the 60s versus, you know, 60s, 70s versus now and even the 90s people could still afford to buy a house you could have a regular job make 30 35 grand 40 grand a year you and your uh your spouse or significant other yeah you could still buy a house in in the bay area and uh that's gone that's it's 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 um it's it's crazy to me when i when i have friends come in town from even colorado now like colorado's getting that way with uh the big pot business i mean big large totally. large cannabis i mean it's it's insane my buddy uh bent mckibben i went out to his farm he's got he's got a cool contracting business they do uh they build uh greenhouses he's like the gc of greenhouse builds that are strictly for large cannabis and wow so they, they so i saw a large cannabis and then i saw the writing on the wall in ohio like it's like whoa so so right now it's Budweiser is just taking off. If we if we if we switched if we to use the analogy of cannabis versus beer, Budweiser's taking off and the craft brewers, the smaller growers, the market's not there yet. There's too much government regulation, there's too much this, there's too much that. The buying's there, all these extra people are moving there, so now their homeless population's coming up. And it's in in like the crazy thing is when these large companies come into your city, everyone thinks it's awesome because, as I said before, people worship these companies. It's, 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 uh, um, man, I don't mean to have like a, a I, I kind of discovered Robert Anton Wilson. He had this thing called coffee meditation. I don't know a ton about him. I just kind of going down this, but he was saying like the way in America we, 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 we turn everything into a religion, like even coffee. There's the coffee religion because every day you, you make your your instant coffee and then you look at the sun, you take a swig, and you say, thank God, because it's your coffee, right? So it's like it's kind of the idea of like we worship these companies and you go there and you, and you say, oh, look. And it's really people just know there's a bunch of money, so they, they bring their buckets with them, the metaphorical buckets, and they just go there and they put their hand out and they hope their buckets can get filled up. And I think it's that's what's going on in San Francisco. That's what's going on in Austin. There we have all these homeless people. We have all these people pooping in the street. We have all this drug addiction issue. We have all this issue because people are 
I feel like people want an easy road. People don't want responsibility. And it's, you know, it, it, I heard Jordan Peterson talking about it. I don't necessarily like to reference Jordan Peterson because of, I think most of his fans are unbearable. But I think that he says some good stuff. He said something like, you need real work and you need responsibility to kind of cope with the suffering. And it's like some basic Buddhist, uh, Buddhist uh, and um, the new, everybody's about it. What's it called? It's a... Uh, um man what's the the greeks and the romans uh they it, what's the new philosophy every it's an old philosophy but everyone's trying to make it popular oh, again stoicism stoicism no. yes i'm sick of stoicism too i'm just i'm <laughs> sick of most things that people talk about and it, it's a bad it's a bad it's the inner hipster or inner contrarian in me that well you, everybody's talking about it so i need to go in another direction and, yeah, <laughs> and so it's like it's this thing that people go there with their buckets and they're like oh, I want this money to come out and I want money to land in my bucket and so rents go up and there's this thing going on even in Austin now and I'm, thank God it's not going on in Columbus because it would it's it's starting to in certain areas and I think it's going to level out because I, I think based on real estate so real estate here is very different everywhere else because it's it's it, i think columbus is very decentralized and i think pittsburgh is too because it's very much so we are a lot smaller than brooklyn or we're a lot smaller than new york city and los angeles because those two are countries but both those cities have neighborhoods they have boroughs so columbus it really has embraced their neighborhoods and i think so Everything's centrally located. The suburbs, each, if you live in a suburb, everything you need is that in that suburb. There's a nightlife. There's everything. You don't really need to go downtown if you don't want to, but it's a treat when you do. But guess what? We still have Uber. We still have the annoying, stupid scooters and the annoying, stupid bikes. So Bird and Green or Lime or whatever the, whatever the heck they're called. I hate them. I hate them. <laughs> I think they're annoying. And if people really want to see what it's going to turn into, see what China's venture capital rideshare bikes look like. There's piles of bikes, and the, the country is wants to go after the people instead of the companies. And that's the direction we're going in. And it's scary. I don't know why we're like, China's great, because it's not. I mean, we all know this. I mean, you and I have talked about this a bunch. There's stacks of bikes People leave this crap everywhere, and San Francisco is at least being smart about it. And they're now they're just they're they're confiscating these bikes and impounding them. But I, they're a serious problem, and, and the millennials are about to turn on them because in the the younger generation too, because they're I don't know they're we're a lost generation for some reason. I'm in this apparently now, Charles. I'm in the middle generation of Generation X millennials. We're creating a new generation because we didn't get the internet till I was twelve. And, um, I don't, I feel like, uh, I don't know. I'm, 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 I think the, the boilermaker's kicking in, but basically what I'm trying to say is, is when you have these companies come in, there's a lot of stuff that comes in that can be a benefit if it's decentralized and localized. But the issue is, is what, what's going on is that basically stores will stay vacant because of speculation. And when these large companies come in, speculators come in, 
and it's not a good thing because people are going to wait. Well, I'm not going to. I'm not. I'm going to. I'm going to tell this mom and pop shop get the heck out of here because I think I can get some big franchise brand, some big brand that I know they got that corporate money and they're going to give me that money. So I'm going to. I'm going to raise the rent, and it's and it's not based off anything real. There's no real innovation. And I, so I think, like, you know, our conversation we had years ago about ground-up innovation, I, I, I mean, I, I stand to that. Like, I, I feel like it's been programmed into me with my businesses. Like, I went into a restaurant this week, and they said, who are you representing? And I'm like, I'm representing me. And the whole conversation changed. The chef was so excited to talk to me versus, like, oh, you're not some run-the-mill guy that's giving me a product that's going to die in two days, and I give them a lot of stuff for free. And I'm like, Hey, yeah, listen, I'm going to follow up with you in a week. It's up to you. I'm giving you a lot. And I even tell them, look, I'm giving you a lot of stuff. Number one, because I want to, I want to make sure you have enough stuff to be creative. Number two, reciprocity, man. That's a, it's a thing that I know if I give you something and you think it's of value, you're going to want to give back to me and you're going to want to do business with me. I'm not trying to hide anything. Like that's, I mean, like I've read, Robert Cialdini's book. So I'm no fool, but I'm going to tell you that's what I've done because, you know, I'm a good guy. So that's kind of it. I'm sorry, but I've been on a tangent. The Boilermaker's kicking in, Charles, but I feel like I hit some gems, I hope. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Then let me um, respond from the um, the island of Cabernet Sauvignon <laughs> to your Boilermaker. Um, no, I think that you're absolutely right. And I think I want to kind of key on um, the point you've made several times about the way that we worship these giant uh, corporations, which are not beneficial in the way that, say, Sears was. Quite frankly, Sears has now been destroyed by poor management more than anything. But, yes. you know, my father worked as an appliance salesperson. Like, he, he got out of the Navy after the war, you know, the usual story, started selling appliances at Sears. You know, Sears really took care of their people in a way that it's like it's bizarre now. I mean, because no corporation does this anymore. You got stock options. You got you got a stock. You, you got a big. Um, you got a bonus every year. Now, of course, it was based a bit on your performance. You know, the sort of mediocre salespeople didn't make as much as the people that sold a lot. But everybody got some kind of bonus, and everybody got a chance to buy Sears stock at a very low price. And, um, you know, the Medicare, the medical uh, costs were really low at that time, just across the entire economy. Um, but, you know, Sears tried to take care of its people in a way that's been lost in, in corporate America. And they viewed it as a way of, of um, securing their profitability, right? Investing in their people. And it's like you hear a lot of this kind of, you know, uh, kind of PR, like, oh, we invest in our people and all this. And it's all like, yeah, and then you lay off like a third of them every two and a half years. I mean, how is that investing in them? And and we understand the pressure on corporations. You know, if you don't make a, a, a gain, if you don't increase your profits every quarter, the whole management team is fired, right? It's like you guys, you guys failed. You know, you gotta you gotta keep the profits increasing because you really work for the shareholders, not the community, not the nation, not your employee employees. It's all about shareholder value. And that's part of this worship you're talking about. We now worship profits more than anything else. Like, well, what's the value uh, the corporation is creating in the community? Oh, well, nobody cares. You know, if Walmart closes stores, then their stock goes up. 
right? Because they closed the, the least profitable stores. Meanwhile, what, what impact does that have on the communities? And to speak to your whole point here about what happens when mega corporations come in, they destroy the ecosystem of small businesses, small distributors, et cetera, right? They, they completely annihilate that. And we've seen this in, with uh, just to take and not to slam Walmart amongst all the other monopolies or quasi monopolies. But, you know, Walmart has destroyed a lot of small town economies throughout the United States for like 40 years. And then they close the store. And um, like they did this in uh, a lot of towns in Appalachia, you know, where, where people don't have a lot of money and, and Walmart just closes the store because it's not profitable, profitable enough for them. But they've already destroyed the fabric of the local economy. So when they close, there's nothing left. I mean, there's literally nothing left because they destroyed the, the ecosystem that existed beforehand. Right. And then and then they've changed the people's value system, which is what you're describing about. And so, you know, when when Amazon or some mega corporation comes in, what people don't understand is it's temporary, baby. You know, as soon as they can move it to Ireland or China or Indonesia, you're you're toast, pal. You're all, all those benefits you thought were like golden and forever. No, they're never forever with a corporation. Their whole their whole uh, you know mindset is we have to exploit whatever we can to maximize profits. And when we can't maximize profits anymore, then we move on. I mean, end of story. I mean, I I learned this lesson best selling in telecommunications, which is why I'm, I'm grateful that I survived <laughs> because it was, what have you done for me lately? And that's, that's always what it was in telecommunications. It's because it's such a cutthroat industry because it's such, yeah. a, it's what have you done for me lately? And I think it's, it's the biggest, it, it, it seems to resonate the the bigger problems of our economy because it, it's it's it, you know I, I if i blew out my numbers um at verizon when i worked at verizon if i blew up my numbers if i hit 200 percent to go one month then the next month something happens i get 50 percent. i'm 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 on written warning doesn't matter if the previous nine months i was at 200 percent because you know we have these policies and I know in our credo it says we are not a bureaucracy, but guess what? When you're that big of a company and you have thousands of employees and all you care about is shareholders, that's what happens, man. It's it's not I, I, I think it's um I think the obsession, the worshiping of profit, it it's it's kind of this weird thing. I I, I went down this rabbit hole of um Man, I forget what it's called, but it, it's it's basically like this evolutionary psychology idea, and it's you know the issues aren't that profit is bad; it's the management of it, and it's the worship of profit. Like, look, we all want to profit, we all want to do well, but you know, we just because I win doesn't mean you have to lose. I mean, exactly, that, and that's the idea. Like, the idea of competing, like. Listen, competition is good to grow or it's in adversity. Like we need, as we stated at the beginning of the conversation, you need adversity to grow and evolve. But it's not a war. It doesn't need to be a war. And I think that's the and I think that's actually the the positive thing. And it's like I heard um this guy David Wong, or I don't know his real name. That was his pen name, but he was talking he was like this 
he's kind of like a radical optimist. And he was saying how, you know, all these countries having nuclear weapons are actually good because now they all understand the they all understand the consequences. Like everybody being able to pull that trigger means that the the playing field is leveled. And it sounds like a crazy radical idea, but I can actually see the 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 I can see the like obviously I'm anti-war. I mean, like I I I'm not I'm not for violence against anybody. I mean, even that old woman who rear-ended me yesterday and drove off, which is why we we're doing this podcast today. Like, what what am I going to do? Am I going to go intimidate an old woman? No, I think she should have said sorry and then drove off because that's what would have happened. Because I've, I mean, I drive a piece of crap car, Charles. I don't pay more than fifteen hundred dollars for a car. It's a it's a rule I have with myself. But you know, I'm not trying to go to war with her. But I just want to have a conversation, and I and that was kind of my thing, like. This is what's wrong with our society is that people don't talk to each other, man. People people worship bureaucracies. They worship processes. They worship well, policies, and it's all magic. It's all, it's all, somebody's waved a wooden gavel, and now it's lost, and now it's, it's, it's a magic spell. And, and you know, and, and I'm being, clearly I'm not being literal here. Like, it's, a, it's, it's metaphorical. Um, but I, th- I think it's, you know, have a human connection, like, and it goes back to our last conversation. Like I was going to the grocery store yesterday and somebody left trash in the parking lot and I walked by it and I said, Hey, you were just talking to Charles about why people should pick up trash. Maybe you should turn around and pick up trash so, because if you do it, other people are going to start doing it. And so it's like, Oh yeah, Totally. And it's and it's like so like fix what you can fix, and if you if you're really passionate about something, you know, start a business, get involved, like you know, do do something that you can actually make a difference. You know, fix yourself, then try to fix the world. Yeah, and let me let me speak to three points um, that you that you just made. In, in, in as you say, fix what you can fix. And one of our topics last time, and I want to reiterate it because I think it's important, is that you were saying, you know, if you can start a business to uh, fix something, it 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 involves um, the profit motive, right? Because we want to benefit from it. We we want to have a livelihood and and have a profit that we can reinvest in, in things we care about. That's a positive incentive, and that's built into human nature. But but when when you pick up trash, you're you're doing something else. You're profiting the entire community, and that's also part of this. And what we're when we're talking about the value system's been destroyed in America, it's like nobody seems to notice whether these giant corporations are actually benefiting the communities that they're entering, or supposedly serving. And and that's um, that's the thing. We've lost all balance. You know, there's no there's no um, there's no balance there. And then I, I want to talk real quickly to um, the, the title of my book, which is Pathfinding Our Destiny. And I chose that specifically because when you're pathfinding, you're not following another track. You're literally out there in the jungle or in the, the wilderness, and you're, you're, you're finding your own way by what works, and, and, um, and you're feeling your way forward, and, um, and you're evolving, if you will, or you're adapting to conditions as you see as you experience them. And so that's really what we need. 
and that what we when you lock your economy and society into a bunch of of cartels and and monopolies and a central state which basically serves those interests you've eliminated um the innovation and the whole idea of pathfinding because there's no room left and and that's 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 where we're at now you know is that we we have a sclerotic bureaucratic system as you say you know totally focused on process and and policy and so we're we've lost our ability to adapt and evolve and that's that's the biggest danger that that's facing the US in my mind is we've lost the ability to to evolve adapt and be flexible because we're we're worshiping all the wrong stuff man i think that's a good way to end this show and i think if people want to see how crazy bureaucracies could hypothetically get you should go to uh, you should go you should read or watch the movie Brazil read the book Brazil yeah absolutely right it's like a it's like it was like the present day but the dude <laughs> foresaw it thirty years ago right yeah and Terry Gilliam did a fantastic job I grew up a huge fan of Monty Python he did all the art people don't necessarily like his direction but I do I like I like Terry Gilliam films. Um, I think it's great. Uh, another idiocracy is clear. I mean, Mike Judge nailed a lot of things. And, and, you know, it's sad to say this is a potential direction we're going. I want to say potential because I'm more optimistic. I think that we're going to get fed up. And uh, and I think it kind of shows it with the the new politicians that we've elected, even though I think half of them are kind of stupid. But guess what? At least they care. I mean, like, I don't think any of them are in it for their own gain. Like, I, I don't think any of the new crazy lefties are. The guy at the eye patch, I definitely don't think is. I've heard him talk. He's on the other spectrum. And I think, you know, it's it's good to see new faces that care. I think the, you know, Martin Armstrong said that the, the real Trump revolution is that career politicians are going to be a thing of the past. And I think he's right. And I think things could potentially get worse before they get better, but I think it's going to be necessary. I mean, you've written, you've wrote a lot about the real economy and the forest fire that needs to take place before. So new growth can happen and, you know, some things need to burn down so new things can grow. And, um, and we all need to be prepared for it. And I think all your books do a good job of that. So listen, if you want to read all these books, I got I got all of Charles's books that have been released on audiobook. They're going to be free in the show notes. If you start an Audible account, I don't make money on it. Me and Charles talked about how I should try to, but Audible kind of sucks when you become an affiliate. They suck big because they're an Amazon affiliate, and they, you know, I've tried and it just doesn't work. So I'm just giving it to you for free because I I think Charles's stuff is good. Charles is okay with it. Go there, get these books, download them. They're great. Um, I, 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 I am, I am a small scale farmer based on reading the first book I ever read of Charles. And this was after reading Charles series of blog posts about the disappearance of the middle class, um, which, which drew me to having the courage to reach out to Charles. Now we're good friends. And so I think, you know, you guys, you can make a difference in your life. Um, if you are unhappy with your current situation, it's up to you to make the difference. So I think Charles's books give you great ideas to leverage. I've, I've met um, plenty of people that have heard my show with you, that have reached out to me, that are super cool people. 
uh, this one dude, uh, I want to shout him out, Matt, Matt LaPalm, I think he's in Michigan. Super cool dude. And he's like, yeah, I don't do anything by the book. Matt will appreciate me saying this. He's, he's not, you know, he's not, he's no, he's no social butterfly, but he does things on his own terms. And I think that's, that's the life that we should all shoot for. Like live life on your own terms, find freedom in an unfree world. And I think Charles talks about topics that can help you find peace in your own mind, have the courage to do it. Cause I know I did. So go to of two minds.com. You get free chapters of his latest books. Um, Charles, is there anything else in here? Oh, Patreon. Support Charles on Patreon. Become and support Drew Sample as well. That's right. We are a member of the Value for Value Network. All I'm asking for is $1 a month, which is $12 a year. If I get 1,000 of you to do that, I'm in pretty good shape. So that's all I'm saying. So, Charles, thanks for joining me again. Sorry if uh, the Boilermaker kicked in a little too much at the end. Hopefully it was funny and entertaining. Um, but I had a good time talking. I hope you had a good time on the show as well. Yeah. And I, uh, visit me at of two minds.com. As you say, um, there's, uh, samples of all my recent books and I've got a couple more, um, audio books coming out in the next like three to four months. Or at least the guy that's doing it says he will. So, um, that will make it easier to access, uh, my books, uh, all 21 of them. They're not all audio books, but they're out there. Uh, please feel free to download the sample chapter PDFs. And um, I just want to say, Drew, I, today was a great topic, um, great discussion, and that you're living the life uh, that, that we're describing. And that's um, that's a value proposition in our podcast. Thank you, sir. Everyone, thanks again for tuning in. I'm looking forward to bringing you guys more episodes soon. <laughs>